Welcome to the Rural Sales Show with my dad and host Sinjin Craner. Each week, my dad interviews people who you can learn from like sales and marketing experts, authors and performance coaches to help you and your rural sales team get to the next level. Oh, and make sure you subscribe or rate us on iTunes so you can buy me a motorbike. And now here's my dad. This week on the show, we've got a very wonderful human being, a real fella by the name of Conrad Tracy. Conrad Tracy is a addiction coach. He's based in Melbourne, Australia. He works with clients and his coaches on both sides of the Tasman in, in New Zealand and Australia. And he works with a lot of rural people. And we're not talking about mental health or depression. I think that's very well documented and catered by others, probably more qualified. Where Comrade has a specific uh, skill is in an addiction. He's had an interesting journey himself, which the podcast will start with. So he'll he'll share his story with you. But if you're a male or even a wife or a partner of a rural male who might be having anger issues, uh, in denial, avoidance mechanisms through drinking too much, you know, alcohol addiction, drug addiction, soft or hard, uh, pornography, screen addiction, or an addiction to work or workaholism, being a workaholic and those avoidance strategies, and this show is for you. This is certainly slightly left field from our normal kind of sales marketing lead generation kind of space. But I think Comrade, he's such a special guy. He, you'll see how natural and how authentic he is and how he's very sincere in what he says. So there's a lot in here. We go for a while. Um, but I encourage you again, if you're a rural male who's struggling a wee bit um, and uh, on some of the things we just mentioned or your wife or a partner of that male, this might just be the show for you. So tune in, listen, and even if this helps one person, then it all will have been worth it. So I'll leave you to listen to Comrade. Well, hey, Comrade. Comrade Tracy is here with me. Comrade is a pretty special fella, um, and I've got him on the show because he's a bit of a gift because I've got to know him through my uh, coaching community, which I'm very grateful to be part of. I'm sure Comrade is too. Comrade is a um, an addiction uh, coach uh, of Addiction Coaching Australia. Um, he helps a lot of people break the addiction cycle and regain control of their life and their life choices. Uh, Comrade's probably he'll probably be super vulnerable, completely up to him, of course. Share a bit of his story, why he does what he does, how he does it, and I kind of brought Comrade onto the show particularly because I know there's a few of you out there who run pretty stressful lives, you're running around, you're traveling lots, you're away from home, a lot of pressure on, few dependencies, which we might get into. So, you know, we're going to talk about all those things. And I hope, obviously, we'll talk with Comrade and, and get some things out of here that you can use and apply straight away. So, Comrade, welcome. Great to have you here, my friend. Mate, thank you so much for having me. Uh, I've been really looking forward to this chat this week. You know those things that you you see in your diary, and you're like, I actually want to do that one. Yeah, good. Same. <laughs> I was looking, going, I hope he doesn't. I hope he doesn't reschedule on me because I I've been really looking forward to it too. I mean, as I selfishly said before we uh, came on, is I think I learned a lot myself here as well. So mm. really, really keen. So maybe for listeners to start with, comrade, maybe can you. Can you share a little bit of your story, 
where you've come from and why are you where you are now doing what you do now? Yeah, absolutely. And I'll try and <clears throat> give you the, you know, the abridged version. I live in Melbourne, in Victoria, so I'm, you know, Australian, and I grew up here. I was born in Hong Kong um, and, you know, I have a huge family here in Australia, so very connected to the place. Uh, and I came here and I, I struggled a little bit, you know, to kind of fit in and find friends and do all of that stuff. And look, I won't spend too much time on this because I have spoken about it in depth uh, elsewhere. But unfortunately, I was, um, you know, I was, I kind of moved into a new area. We were there for like a, a year whilst we were finding another ha another home to live in. Um, and, you know, I, I had a very, very unfortunate run in with uh, some of the the neighbours there, and that ended up in a a fairly heavy kind of sexual assault, um, which is something that has stayed with me for a long time. Yeah. So that was when I was pretty young, and I think you know for me that was the catalyst. Um, mm. Often talk about what happened to you, and that was the first one. Mm. So. I don't, yeah, I mean, I don't dwell on it and I've, I've really worked on it, but that was the kind of the the first thing that occurred. Uh, from that point, very shut down, uh, very aggressive, very um, closed. Uh, I put on a lot of weight, so I wasn't comfortable in my body or my, or being seen. Um, and, you know, I just had this, you know, this big kind of fuck off written on my face from, mm. you know, age five up until about 35. And, it kind of worked for me uh, to to have that kind of staunch um, mask. It kept me protected, um, but it also kept me very isolated. So never really built up a, a huge circle of mates um, and kind of was a bit of a chameleon, floated around at school and just kind of fitted in uh, wherever I could. Very, very lucky to be connected to music and sports. Um, which I was very naturally gifted at. So that kind of got me through high school um, and that stopped me from really going down the gurgler because at that point I was hanging around with people. Most of them now, unfortunately, are dead, uh, in jail or, you know, very, very unhappy in their lives. So sport got me through, music got me through. Uh, I th ended up being, you know, quite popular. Um, so I had some girlfriends and, you know, did the thing. And then when I uh, got into kind of late high school, early, early university, I went out and, you know, some people introduced me to ecstasy. Mm. And that was the first step. Um, and for me, and I don't want to um, glamorize it, but it was the first time in my entire life where I felt comfortable. Mm. Okay, so remembering I've just spent like, you know, 20 years um, with this massive barrier around me, it it just let me come out of my shell um, and I got obsessed with that. So I was out every weekend, um, you know, partying, taking pills and, you know, you know, making what I thought were lifelong friends. That graduated um, and look, you know, I've always been a, a pretty industrious guy. So, uh, the pills, you know, turned into, you know, buying more than I needed and, you know, selling those and then, you know, buying speed and doing that and then taking speed. And 
um, I had this like double life going on where I kind of, I came from a pretty good family. I had really smart mates, but I also had this crew of people that I was running with concurrently um, who ended up, you know, going in a really different direction. Um, and I was, I had my my toe in both, um, you know, in both areas. So things started to get really bad for me when I was introduced to methamphetamines and cocaine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, again, current concurrently, I'm studying. So I've done two university degrees. Uh, I've I've got you know relationships, most of which I I kind of destroyed. Um, still connected to my family, but they're very suspect on on me and what's going on. And I'm you know out on the weekends um, and just really getting stuck in. So that went on for years. Um, I had a period where I kind of pulled it back. And then stress was the one that really, really got me. So being industrious, um, you know, when I finished my university degrees, I started, I decided to open my own businesses. So I had a retail business. I opened a co-working business um, at the kind of forefront of co-working here in Melbourne. Um, Very, very split focus, high stress. Uh, I funded it all myself. So I was running two businesses, trying to build a co-working space, managing teams, um, you know, had a partner, and I was using methamphetamines every day to work, Mm. right? And I did this for years and years and years, and it just got to a loggerheads where I started to get psychosis, I started to get anxiety, I started to get stress, um, and I couldn't actually function without it. And when I was having it, I was sometimes too scared to to front up for work because of social interactions and all of this stuff. Mm. So I ended up in a residential rehab when I was 36. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we've done a very, very abridged version, but that's it's 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 got the good bits in it. So 36, um, at that point I was working, I was actually the I had moved out of the businesses and gone and got a job. Um, so I was the COO of a, a larger co-working company and I really fell off my perch there. So I think I got a tax return. I went and spent it all on drugs and then, you know, took it to the staff party and offered to everyone and um, wasn't set, wasn't setting the best example. And uh, the founder kind of clocked onto that and he's like, well, you can't work here. I want to help you. So go to rehab and sort your shit out. Spent 30 days there, came out, and uh, at that point, my family had had enough. So, they're like, this is your last hurrah. So, if you do not get this right, do not talk to us, do not come back to us, do not ask us for anything. Um, Relationships were just uh, destroyed. My mental and physical health was a mess. My teeth, my weight, my cognitive function. and I came out and, you know, started the process. And it was the first time in my life where I actually just did what I was told, right? It was the first time I went, okay, my way is not working. Um, and I went through, you know, what people know to be, you know, NA or the fellowship here in, in Melbourne. And I got a, a sponsor or a coach uh, and I just did whatever he told me to do. And, you know, I looked at this guy and he had a beautiful home. 
you know, had a couple of Audis in the driveway, um, had a beautiful wife, three kids, nice dog, swimming pool. And I'm like, that looks like something that I want to aim for. And if he's been there or where I am and he's got that now, then he must know how to get there, right? Mm-hmm. Similar to to what we talk about in, in coaching these days. Mm-hmm. So I attached myself to this guy like at the hip um, and I spent, you know, years with him. And uh, I ended up working in a in a factory making well. The, some of your listeners will know what goes into this. So cow feed, yeah. Um, so you know, thirty pellets coming in the morning. They've got different ingredients in them. You've got to put them all, mix them, make them the right quantity, and then stir them. And so I was like eight hours a day for eight months. You know, sh- kind of lifting twenty five kilo bags all day. Um, that was a big change from being, you know, the GM or a CEO of a corporate company. And, you know, since then I have been on a very, very interesting journey of holistic health and well-being. Um, I've improved my mental health, I've improved my physical health. And I ended up, you know, getting another job in the property industry, working there for two years and started with an amazing coach who I, we probably both no, a guy named Stephen Scott Johnson. Um, mm. And, you know, I did some professional development with him and he kind of cottoned on to the fact that I was bright um, and that I was a bit different from the, the crew of people that were there. And, you know, I did some PD with him and uh, I said to him, mate, I'm, I'm just really not happy. I don't like this job. I don't want to work here. Um, there's no purpose. I've done this incredible 360 in my life where I've, you know, come from an absolute rock bottom to, you know, a place where I'm running teams and people are looking to me for guidance and strategy and advice. And, um, you know, I'm really lifting people up. And he's like, well, what part of this work do you like? And I said, well, it's that, it's lifting people up. I love it when I have people on my team that come in and they start in a role and they're like, I don't know what to do. And, you know, I guide them and I coach them and they end up going to a certain part of the company and they're great there and they fit and they, they're happy. And then he said, well, what else is important to you? And I'm like, well, I feel like this thing that I've been through, I feel like I've aced it, right, without, mm. without ego. Mm. Uh, I feel like I really have nailed it. And I also think that the process that I had to go through, to put it bluntly, was really, really shit. Yeah. Right. So, like going to NA meetings, um, like that stuff is like the the communities can be very challenging, interpersonal Mm -hmm. dynamics. They're not a hotbed for mental health. Um, They're following, you know, these guidelines or these structures that were written in the 1950s and they've been so diluted. And unfortunately, in a room full of people, Sometimes, well, in these environments, the loudest person is considered the smartest person. And what I found was that was, I just found that not to be true. Um, I saw a lot of things that shouldn't have been occurring. I saw a lot of people getting taken advantage of. Um, I saw a lot of really shitty behavior from men and from women. And, you know, for me, the thing that was missing was there was no elevation in it. Mm. They were just like, don't take drugs, don't take drink, don't gamble, don't do pornography, and just 
that's enough. And for me, that wasn't enough. I needed to figure out how to stop, and then I needed how to f- I, then I needed how to figure how to figure out to to get on a trajectory mm. of success and to reach my potential and to be focused and motivated and actually have um, goals and be able to develop habits that that help me to reach them. So I was like, that was kind of weird. I've been to psychologists and psychiatrists and all of these things and, you know, the cadence is too far. You see them once a week or once a month and they forget who you are and what you talked about. The thing that got me clean was having someone I could ring every single day and go, I'm thinking this, can you sense check it for me? What do you think of this? I'm going to do this. What are my options? The thing that I loved about this man is that he never gave me advice. He just gave me guidance. He said, well, when I was faced with that, I had three options and I I picked that one and I picked it because and the result was. So knowing that, why don't you go and make your choice? Mm. So back to, you know, Stephen, I'm sitting there, I'm like, I want to lift people up and I've done really well and the way I did it could be much, much better. Um, so, you know, the next session we sat down with a whiteboard and I've actually got, I've still got the, the pictures from that day where we designed, you know, my first coaching program. Um, you know, and I think it was, I can't even remember what it was called, but the basic premise was like, I'm going to help people to break the cycle of addiction and regain control of their life and choices in 60 days. Um, and I'm going to do it with a, a blend of high performance coaching and holistic therapies, right? So taking a full 360 approach to get people connected to their hearts, their heads, their minds, their bodies. Um, and I take a, a quite a direct approach with people in terms of behavioral change. Um, I'm, you know, I kind of call them hard truths. And I really needed to hear those things when I was going through that process. My ego was massive. Um, I used to throw blame. It was everybody else's fault. It was the world's fault. Um, It was, you know, my fucking trauma or, um, you know, my, you know, I wasn't rich enough or I wasn't poor enough. It was like always something else. Mm -hmm. So what I learned was, you know, identify your shit, work on your shit, um, get back to integrity, get back to values. um, And at the same time, make sure the vessel is in as is 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 as optimal uh, in terms of your performance and your energy as as humanly possible, and you know today I've got um, I've got you know coaches working for me. I've got a team. I have men and women from all over Australia and New Zealand that I coach um, either one on one or in group settings. And you know my private program, which is called the Delta Path, which is an eight week program, has a success rate of. 85%. Wow. Um, which is astronomical compared to rehab yeah. or NA. Yeah, sitting at about 5 or 6% and their their data is so impossible to actually manage and and record. So yeah, it's been a it's been a journey and um I'm here and I'm helping others uh and I feel like I'm doing a pretty good job of it. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's kind of the, uh, the the story. Awesome. I think it was really important to take the time because 
that was the abridged version. But for mm. the listeners to understand that you've been through a lot of shit. Yeah, heaps. The environment and the existing infrastructure. And you could see that there was a better way. Comrade, I've got a question for you straight away because I find this fascinating. Is would you describe, you know how you use the word industrious? Mm. Do you feel, and this is this is equally important, the duality, the benefits here for the listeners. Do you feel you have an addictive personality? How do you answer that question? I get very focused on things that I enjoy. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. I get very, very focused on things that I enjoy. And I enjoyed drugs for a long time. Um, until the drugs started to destroy my health and happiness, my relationships, my finances. Now I'm deeply focused on, um, you know, helping others, my personal health and well-being, my relationships, um, what I can contribute. And, you know, I also nerd out on a lot of stuff, right? So I'm like reconnected to hobbies. Um, I'm a very, very avid and, you know, um, professional drummer. Yeah, I saw um, you. I saw you've been to the drum shop. Uh, yeah, a couple of days ago, you've been shopping. I did buy myself a nice drum for my birthday. Um, I love Lego, and you know, I love um, anything that really helps me to focus uh, and get my brain kind of in in flow. So, yeah, I would say that I have a a very focused mind. It just needs to be focused on the right things. F- forgive me because you picked that up very nicely. Because this is where I'm naive. That labeling that I'm potentially using there could be potentially dangerous. And why I mean, and that's a naivety and and forgive me on my part, but like I see, uh, we'll talk about workaholism in a minute because a worker Mm. is a type of addiction and I see. Yeah. And avoidance. (laughs) Avoidance. And I, what work avoidance or work addiction? No, it's an avoidance of self. I find. Yeah. Awesome. (laughs) Yeah. We might unpack that a wee bit. Uh, because I reckon I've got a, I think I might have a dose of that myself. But going back, I suppose anyone that's listening to this podcast that's rural and they're driving around and they're in that rural sales scene, agricultural scene, farming scene, out in the what what's remote, there's been a lot of discussion in New Zealand around mental mental health and well-being, yeah. um, particularly men. I mean, I think women are very generally a lot better at supporting each other with their networks. Yeah. The men, men we're we're fucking useless and we're islands and there's this staunch Kiwi, you know, it's the same in the outback and there's staunch Kiwi. I'll be all right. You know, when you hear a bloke that says I'm fine, things are very wrong when you hit for me, when you hear those words, you've, you've got the guys like um, Sir John Kerwin, ex all black swinger with his uh, mental health podcast. And he's doing, yeah. he's been a real poster boy for men's mental health. So rural mental health has been very well reported and recorded. And there's a lot going on obviously there seems to be a lot more that's going on and i think mental health in rural is because they work remotely you know they might only see a few people a week could be their third rep could be their feed rep uh livestock agent and that's about it you know yeah. and the mo- and, and, and the same for australia in terms of outback vast vast areas very remote my question is would you say if you had your time again could you pick up the telltale signs like where things were spiraling for you. So I think for the listeners, it would be beneficial, like everyone's got their own journey, comrade, but like where is it that you really started to see 
it triggered not in a good way. Like there were telltale signs. Now, obviously, something that had in trauma when you were younger with that assault mm. is a very big thing. And obviously, that was your coping mechanism and your protection mechanism, but it didn't serve you well. And you've taken a long time to work that. But what's the telltale signs that you know, are, are predominantly rural males that might be listening to this podcast will go, what do I need to watch out for? What are the, what are the warning signs that I'm slipping away here? Yeah, I'd, I'd say three things off the top of my head, and they would be patterns, complacency, and apathy. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I say patterns, if you've grown up there and your dad was from there and your granddad was from there um, and you saw him drink and shout and yell and scream and and bottle things up and, you know, hit people and throw off and then your dad did it and now you're doing it, uh, when you said you, prom- when you promised yourself you wouldn't or you promised yourself you'd try something different, that's a big a big red flag. Okay. So if you've ever gotten to the point where you're like, generationally, I want to be different um, and you're just falling back into that same trap, then you're not learning, you're not developing, you're not coping, you're just doing what you saw. Okay. Repetition is easy. Um, developing self and developing your values and the way that you're going to interact in the world is very different. Um, complacency and apathy, I, you could lump them in together. But when you start settling for less than you know to be possible, right? Um, and I see this and it's always this thing that I hear from men. Oh, when I was, I used to, right? Yeah, when well, I was... Yeah, or like, I mean, sorry to jump in, but like, yeah, I used to be really fit and I used mm. to squash. I used to play rugby or AFL yeah. or NRL. And yeah, I remember playing footy and coaching. Like, and then we'd, you know, we'd have a couple of beers on Thursday night. Sorry, comrade, please continue. No, and it's like, it's a classic thing and they just can't, they keep on talking about it. Like, so they'll sit in front of me and they will be, you know, 40 kilos overweight and, you know, their wife is like at wit's end and they're about to lose a, you know, a multi-million dollar company. Uh, or, a, um, you know, I work with a lot of tradesmen um, and I work with a couple of farmers at the moment. They're mm. about to lose stuff and they just keep on reattaching to this thing. Oh, I used to, you know, uh, do the Tour de France and I used to weightlift this and, you know, that is what you used to do and now you're doing none of it and you are still attaching to it because it's the only thing left and what you're doing is just sitting in this in this kind of gray area of non-performance, non-potential, um, talking about the the good old days yeah. and thinking that that's going to to lift you up, right? So n- massive complacency, no action taking, um, and also can't be told. And then you know the apathy thing is a big one. So it's too hard, or you know I'll never get ahead. Um, the world is fucked, you know, it's meant to keep me down. So those things in in uh, in partnership are really, really negative. And what I would say is that if you, like what I'm also hearing from that question is how do I know I've got an issue, right, yeah. or, or how do I identify it? Um, because drinking is part of the culture, drugs are part of the culture, gambling is a massive part of our culture, um, and pornography is becoming a huge issue screen time. So the simple way I like to look at it, and I don't take a disease model, I don't really use the term addiction so much. I just like, if it's affecting your mental and physical health, 
if it's affecting your family and your relationships and it's affecting your finances, then it's not a disease. It's just a problem that you need to sort out. You need to do it really quickly. Um, and I talk about it as a phase. Mm. Okay, because you can you can you can enter it and you can exit it, <laughs> but it takes a lot of hard work, vigilance, focus, and you know, um, and change and humility. Okay, so I guess an example of that would be, you know, farms are big places, um, rural places are big places. So if you're isolating. Right. So if you're taking the long route or if you're spending time out on the farm when you should be inside, you know, cooking dinner or with your kids or um, if you, you're prioritising, you know, weekends or travel away, um, I would keep an eye on it. And then, you know, if you are doing, if you are drinking too much or if you're taking drugs or if you're doing any of that stuff and you're doing it by yourself, um, that's a massive red flag as well. And if you are not meeting um, your, I guess, the expectations of others in terms of, you know, um, financial provision, time, care, attention. Um, these are all things to, to, to keep an eye on. And another thing that I want to stress is that it's like if you look around you, okay, like, you know, you'd probably relate to this when we're together on calls and we're we look around our community and we're just like completely uplifted. We're inspired. We're like, oh, my God, sometimes it's daunting, right? 100%. So if you're sitting in a room with five or six other blokes and they're all fat and none of them exercise and they're drinking every single day and, and none of them want to talk about anything except, you know, the football and, you know, bitch and whinge and complain, then that kind of becomes the gold standard. Yeah. And- you know, we know or I know that in New Zealand there's another standard um, and you you mentioned the All Blacks before and it's so funny, like, you know, because they are considered probably one of the greatest sporting teams in the history of the world. Um, I buy this book for my male participants. It's called Legacy. Um, yeah, by David Kerr. Yeah, David Kerr. James. Um, James Kerr, sorry. This yeah, one. that one. My rag, my worn, torn book. Yeah. James it, Kerr, Legacy, great book. That is like if you want to learn how to like get back to to man, or get back to responsibility, or get back to leadership, it's fucking brilliant, and it's so easy to read. Um, and it's like show up, you know, do more than is expected of you, lead from the front. Uh, don't bullshit. You know, it's like the, I can't know. I, I don't remember what the the six or seven principles are. They are by name, but he talks about manner and all of this stuff. And it's like that is a gold standard. Um, so what I, I love, what I loved about this book because I I've just grabbed off the bookshelf while we're talking is uh, how the All Blacks and they are put on a pedestal and and some of them have not behaved well like any footy guys. You know, yeah. they they are human beings and they struggle just like all us ordinary folk is they talk about sweeping the sheds. Mm. So whenever they go on tour, yeah. they clean their own changing rooms. No one cleans. They take their own bags off the coach. Yeah. So forgive me if, if I'm being wrong to any listeners from Italy or Argentina or France, <laughs> they're little plebs that take the bags off the coach. These guys take their own kit, 
off the coach and clean the sweep the shed. That's what they yeah. call it. So, you know, great, great shout out on that comment. I want to ask you another question, if I can, is picking up on this. I would say the hardest work is self-work. Would you Totally. Because like looking in the mirror, because remember you were talking that the metaphor I'm using here is often we look out of the window, mm. we point at everyone else and go, fucking government, bloody prime minister, yep. uh, economy, fucking boss, this, that, and everything else, everything but me. And then it takes a pretty brave soul and bloke to man up and go, actually, I need to look in the mirror. Mm. And without yeah. getting all Michael Jackson, you know, man in the mirror, yeah. there is some truth to that cliche that it actually the hardest work is self-work. I mean, yeah, and then and then actually, what are your thoughts on that whole sort of emotional intelligence, Daniel Goleman sort of stuff around self-awareness is fine. I mean, self-awareness as, as the first hurdle is massive. Yes. Like, and facing, confronting you and being true to yourself and not deceiving yourself. Mm. And then also, sorry, kind of so long question rolled in here, but like facing up to those hard truths, as you call them, which I think is very important. Those are hard to handle because your ego is yeah. in that way. And, and, and so it's hard to accept those things about yourself. And we all, we all are work in progress. It's right. We've all got our, we've all got our faults and our, and our fears, but tell me about, tell me about that ego and looking in the mirror and that, that fear of doing so and confronting those hard truths because breaking your psychological contract with yourself. Mm. Let's talk about that. Yeah. So I see it a lot in successful men. Um, and I also see it in non-successful ones, but let's use that as an example. So I have gotten so far, uh, I have this, I have that, you know, so I'm smart and I know how to do it. Um, making money and having things has nothing to do with emotional intelligence, right? Um, I know a lot of psychopaths that are very, very rich. So <laughs> the important thing to note is that what you said about being hard, you're absolutely right. So let's use me for an example. Um, inactive addiction, people would say that I'm aggressive. They would have said I was belligerent, arrogant, uh, self-centered, self-serving, um, and probably quite sexist as well, like a bit misogynistic. Um, and I'll put my hand up for all of that stuff. And, you know, I had you're, to- you're, you're Australian, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm yes. kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> so, you know, the first the first place where I started to see that back was in rehab and I had to sit in these process groups uh, and my ego was like, who the fuck do you think you are, right, to sit across the room from me and tell me about my shit? Like I got in, like I got, I almost got kicked out of rehab three times for like getting into physical physical altercations, right, because I was extremely aggressive. I'm like, if you call me on something, then like let's, it's going to, it's going to escalate really it's gonna quickly. It's going right? to yeah. So that's how closed I was. So I had to go from talk about me and I'll punch you in your face to sitting in a room with another man, my coach, my sponsor, um, and, you know, writing these lists of things that I'd done in my life, people that I'd harmed, interactions that I wasn't proud of, right? Putting that all into paper and then processing 
how I'm going to improve on those things. So how I'm going to go from suboptimal behavior to optimal behavior, how I'm going to make all of that stuff right, and then how am I going to start showing up in this world as this new version of me or improved version of me, understanding that people have still got their their preconceived ideas and notions. So it was grueling. You know, like I would, it was just like, it was the hardest thing I'd ever done, but it was completely cathartic. And it is the thing that stops people from getting well. So, what I see in the people that I work with is massive avoidance of self work. And what they'll say is, I'll go, I'll go, how was your week? And they'll be like, oh, yeah, I went to the gym 15 times and I worked 60 hours and the boys are good and, you know, we, we're making heaps and, uh, the wife's off my back, right? And I'm like, well, how are you? Did you do, have you done any inventory? Have you done any reflection? Have you done any journaling? Have you thought about, you know, how you are interacting with yourself and with others? No, right? It's just radio silence. So they throw themselves into everything else. Mm-hmm. They avoid that work. And then when they get rejected, Right when they feel less than, when their ego gets questioned, when they're you know, um, it's the same trigger because they haven't done the work. It gets them and it gets them back onto that path. So I have a concept on this. If you're happy for me to share it with you, yeah, go far far away. And I do this because I'm still not perfect, mate. Like I like I think I went through a period about eight weeks ago where I was like. You know, in my relationship, I was just like, fuck, everything's a mess. Like, I'm working so hard and why do I have to go out and look at this and deal with this? And, you know, just really like started to to throw my weight around, which caused havoc at home. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, I, I did some reading on it. Mm, good. So like, this is not working for me, <laughs> right? So I have enough uh, intelligence to know that I need to fix it. And I came across this concept of 100% accountability, 0% expectation, mm. which I really, really like. So if you're listening to this and it is everyone else's fault and it is the government and it's the prime minister and it's the economy and it's the recession and it's, you know, the bloke at the 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 the, the shop, um, what I would encourage you to do is take 100% accountability of everything in your life for a period, maybe do it for a week or two. That means like, you know, if you think somebody should be cooking, then maybe you should cook. And if you think someone should be cleaning up, then maybe you should clean up, right? And taking that black, all blacks approach of sweeping the sheds. Mm. So your side of the street is, is squeaky, squeaky clean mm. and the second part is that 0% expectation. So understanding that you have no expectation on anybody else to make you feel or do anything for you or lift you up, right? And um, they are just other things. And if you get to the end of the two-week period and you realize that um, you're – I guess you were responsible, right, for a lot of the things that were going wrong in your life, then maybe you need to make a shift, right? So instead of throwing um, blame, 
and creating resentment and expecting everybody else to fix your problems, why don't you do it? Um, and that is a good way to get back to kind of a base level. And that's worked really, really well for me and it works well for some of my participants. Um, I hope that was clear. I feel like... Yeah, no, 100%. This 100% accountability and taking 100% responsibility for your shit before mm. you get anywhere else. Yeah. I think Jock Willink, he's an ex-Navy SEAL guy. Um, can't remember the book. I'll put it in the show notes. But he talks about this concept as well, 100% responsibility and accountability for yourself before even pointing the finger anywhere else. Yeah. And then I, and, and I was, you were probably thinking I was being very rude there. I was looking for something particularly for a quote that's very relevant to what we're talking about. There's a guy called Russell Barclay, and I don't know if you know him, and he says, people who need love ask for it in the most unloving ways. Mm, yeah. And interestingly, this whole – so this is this is where we get a bit deeper, which I'm really enjoying, is we talk about your projection being your objection. Mm. So tell me about that, comrade. Unpack that for me. Yeah, so it's so funny that you say that, right? Because when I talk to these men, and again, understanding they're, they're high-level tradesmen, right? They're project managers, they're farmers, they're owners, operators, okay? And they're kind of 35 to 55 successful guys. You'll talk to them and you really try. I always try and get to the root cause of it. Okay. So, like, was it your dad? Did he beat you? Did he rape you? Did something happen? You know, like, what went on for you to get you to this point? Um, and, you know, they'll talk and they'll talk and they'll talk and they'll talk and they'll just create, you know, it's about work and it's about stress and it's about uh, this and it's about that. And what it ends up coming down to, I would say 95% of the time, is that they just want to be fucking loved, right? Yeah. They just want to go home and get a hug and have a conversation and have sex and feel connected and feel part of something, but they have zero, zero, right, ways or techniques or tactics or tools in their toolbox. Well to said to actually have these conversations and ask people, like, say, communicate their needs. Yeah. Right? So it's yeah. like we've got this, like, we've got this gruff exterior. We've got this kind of hard thing and it's like we we put our wives in a box and they do wife shit and we go and do our stuff. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, what we really need is a bit more of a blend um, and, you know, getting in touch with your emotional intelligence, getting in touch with yourself, it doesn't mean you're soft. So when people say, um, you know, you need to harden the fuck it up, harden the fuck up, I yeah. actually say you need to soften up. Mm. And that is daunting. So you need to find a place where you can do it safely. Right. I'm really glad you said, comrade, that safe word. Yeah. Because the problem is they probably don't feel safe with themselves admitting because i mean even me like i am not the most emotionally attuned person i mean i think i have trouble labeling some of my own emotions because i actually don't think sometimes i want to face them yep 
because the fear, and I'm sure it's the same for others, is like, well, I actually don't want to admit that I'm actually not feeling right or mm. I'm feeling scared because we all know where anger comes from. And anger is a very dominant emotion in men and yep. aggression in rural outback Australia and rural New Zealand, that staunch, hard, hard bastard. But I tell you what, because I've worked with enough farmers and rural people and, and come from that background, there's a very soft emotional person under there, you know, a very, very high emotional quotient. And you're right. They want to be seen. They want to be heard. They want to be understood. They want to be loved. Yeah. And I think what will also be useful in these listeners is there'll be a lot of rural women listening to this, agriculture mm. women who are often the CFO and CEO and therapist and doctor and nurse of that family household. Yeah. And this is this is really cool what we're talking about. It's very, very important. That safety. Yeah. And for any women listening, one thing that I hear often uh, and happy to share this is that um, I have become second fiddle, third fiddle, fourth fiddle, fifth fiddle, sixth fiddle mm. to the kids, to, you know, the footy club or the you know it's like whatever whatever responsibilities the 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 partner or the wife is um encapsulated in you know sometimes the men feel like they're not in, they're not important anymore they've just moved into this role of provision um mm. and men are not just for for money and provision mm. right uh, and women are just not for the other thing as well and that's what I'm it's too it's too compartmentalized at the moment i feel yeah. Okay. Not enough blend. Not enough no. blend. Not enough and balance. Balance is such a cliche, but like, like you said, if if you're pissed off that no one's cooking, yourself, mm. if you're pissed off that the house is an estate, we'll start cleaning the house. Yeah. But these things are difficult because this questions this whole stoic, staunch sense of self, and. A lot of men, I find, this is where this gets interesting, I find a lot of men have lost their sense of self Yeah, because they used to play footy. Now, you talked about the complacency, mm. looking back in yesteryear and back in the good old days when I was playing footy and I was fit down at the squash club and fixing cars, running around, chasing after girls, whatever you're doing. You know, like they, that loss of sense of self, and they are then require massive sense of belonging. What are your thoughts on that? When you say belonging, what do you mean specifically? Good. What I mean by that is that when you lose your sense of self, you want to belong to something again to get a sense of self regained, in my, in, in my view, and I might yep. be completely wrong. So, like, you know, when you're a young fella knocking around, chasing girls, drinking beer, playing footy, as you know, most rural Aussie kind of guys do, yeah, you, you life's sweet. And then what happens is you get the bills and you get mm -hmm. the whiteware and you get the pool and the house and maybe not two Audis, but you get a lot of responsibility. And then you're in that provision mode. And then sometimes life can get pretty black and white. It doesn't look colour anymore. And so you're you've got massive <clears throat> massive responsibility. Do you think the the addiction, sorry to keep using that word, comrade, but in no, this fine. It's good. The addiction is actually trying to belong to something again because it's an unmet need. I think that the the most successful men that I've seen um 
understanding that we're pretty simple creatures is that the, the, the people that advance through, right? So unfortunately, addiction, specifically drinking cocaine, methamphetamines, it stops the progression. So we go from junior footy to, um, you know, to senior footy and then a lot of people fall off and they dip, right? The most successful guys are the guys that go and then, you know, they they become a, uh, they have, uh, they take up a role in the club, right? And then their sons come through and then it's like, you know, they they do the things that they love, whether it be football, cars or or anything for the entirety of their lives, right? And mm. exactly. And when you said stoic, I think it's stoic to be able to communicate your needs, right? Mm. And I think that, again, the most successful men that I've encountered are the people that have not been prepared to falter on their needs in relationships, in life, in work, in um, provision. So they're the guys that still tinker. They're the guys that still have hobbies. They're the guys that can't play footy anymore because their knees are fucked, but they're down at the club, um, you know, supporting and doing whatever they can to be part of, right? Now- that is harder on ego, that is harder on energy, that is harder on output. And you're right, drinking is like, it's like a dumping ground for all of the people that can't be bothered, <laughs> okay? <laughs> and unfortunately, the dumping ground becomes attached to the things that, you know, like the footy club and the um, the social events, right? But really, are you going there to do that stuff or are you going there to drink? Mm. Okay. Or is it a vehicle to drink? Exactly. I think it's a vehicle to drink. Um, and I think that if you're brave enough to step out of it and actually reconnect and show up um, and be part of what the actual thing is, um, then you are going to be more connected. And you have the right to have time. You have the right to have space. You have the right to have days to yourself. You have the right to connect to your hobbies. You have the right to go out with your mates, right? Just like your wife and your kids do, we cannot fall into this uh, drudgery mm. of, of life because it is taught to us. It's systemized. Do A, B, C, D, E, F, G. And what a lot of people realize is that they like A, B, C, D, and then the rest of it's just a bit tedious and a bit hard. And a bit okay. boring, and you're working for the man. Yeah, I mean, you and I are very blessed that we work for ourselves, and we, I think, we we worked hard to get in that position. But like, you're in that I wouldn't say trapped, but um, situation where nothing's really changing. But you know, cliche again, but cliches have such truisms like nothing changes unless you change. Yeah, and if you can be happy here, like in your heart, and you can be happy in your mind. And you can start the day with, you know, a certain level of awareness, gratitude, acceptance, right? Mm -hmm. um, then whatever life brings you, I mean, a disposition is one of the most powerful things in the world. You can be a cunt, yeah, right? And you can go and live a cunt life and everyone will go, he's a cunt and you'll behave like one and you'll rub yourself up against every fucking friction in life. Correct. Right? And you'll die at 50 of a, a coronary heart attack. Okay? It's amazing, you know, that I reckon they should do a study on people's attitudes and when they find cancer and tumours and all of this stuff. 
right? Interestingly, though, just to jump in there, I have this, uh, what's that Billy Joel song? But, you know, the good ones die young. Mm. Like, you know, like the baddest bastards are the ones that are overweight, drinking and smoking. And I know they're an exception. They're an outlier. Yeah. But then the bastards that hang around much longer, we always lose the good ones too soon. Well, you don't want to, I wouldn't want to hang around too long living a life like that. I yeah? agree. And that's well put. And that's sort of, you know, we all know those people, if we're talking about right now, I bet listeners are actually painting a picture in their mind of that person, is that they have a very sunny disposition. And they're not happy, clappy, Pollyanna, but no. they're grateful, they're positive, they're yeah. uh, constructively focused, they're respectful, they've got good boundaries. Yes. And they're just a fucking good human to be around. Yeah. Mm. So whatever's going on for you, if you want to move towards that, it takes bravery, okay? Because it might be a relationship that you're not happy with, a marriage. It might be a career that you never wanted to do, you know. You might have wanted to be a, an architect or, a you know, a mechanic and you're a sales rep. Yeah. Um, so life is... One of the greatest things I ever learned was that when somebody told me that, and look, this is not the for everyone, but like the, they said that I think the average person has seven careers in their life. Mm. And I was just like, oh, my God, there's still time. Right? This was when I was 36 and I was just like, you know, I'm 41 now and I'll probably do what I'm doing for another 10 years and then who knows what I'm going to do when I'm 50. Mm. So. And it doesn't have to be a dramatic shift. I'm not saying turn your life around, turn your career around, but maybe it's a focus, right? Uh, maybe it's a serious hobby that you can get ingrained in and really love and enjoy, right? Maybe it's a crop. Maybe it's a breed. Um, maybe it's dogs. Like there's so many things. Like I've got a, a guy who's a um, you know a farmer, and the things that he's doing on his land in terms of there's like six or seven different zones and like it's crazy. They're getting pretty clever these days. It's getting pretty clever. Yeah. I like, so, I like comrade that um, concept. I've noticed sometimes, and this is sort of more the career coaching path and you and I are sort of probably in our own domains, but like when you're working and say you're taking your provision very seriously for your family yeah. and you're just doing it. And in my guys, like they're driving lots of K's they're getting a lot of rejection. They have probably very low self-esteem of themselves. Yep. I often pick that up with my guys that they they don't speak to themselves very well. They don't yep. hold themselves in high regard. They've lost their sense of self in terms of they would have probably been very physical, very strong, very good athletes in a younger age. Yep. And that sort of almost self-hatred, and that might be putting it too strong, but like, oh, I'm a fucking salesman. Mm. And they hate it. And I say to them that at the end of the day, if their product improves their client condition, like they can help a farmer make more money, pay off more debt, get more equity, improve their land, improve their soil, improve their plants, their animals, yep. then they have a moral duty to sell that product. And we talk about the buoyancy of belief. But like what I really like what you said there was around having a serious hobby. And I loved how you put it with a prefix serious. Like, Okay, you might hate your fucking job, but what can you do? Now, in farming, we have another mantra, plenty actually, and one of mm -hmm. them is you control the controllable. Yes. Big mantra because our farmers cannot control price, yep. climate, 
trade wars, oil prices, fertilizer, fuel, labor, legislation, environmental change, all these things that go shit ton coming at them, shit ton. And by the way, they've been keeping both economies on our side of the ditch kind of going during COVID. But having that serious hobby is really good because it gives them that purpose and a sense of meaning and a sense of accomplishment, contribution, purpose, high level, transcendent sort of yep. you know, Maslow hierarchy needs stuff because we've all got shelter and clothing and warmth and all those good things going on. Yeah, it's it's very interesting about that serious hobby. Yeah, and two things I picked up there were uh, one thing I like to call shit in, shit out. Yeah, same. Right? Um, so we talk about like what are you listening to? What are you um, kind of engaging with? And, you know, that in- includes your uh, internal and exter- external thought process. And the next the thing I also dug out of there was time. So, you know, if you are able to engage with something that you love, um, or if you want to learn something new, or if you just have a curiosity about something like the mobile phone these days is like such an incredible tool. One thing that I did um, understanding that I spend, you know, I'm clocking hundreds of Ks, probably nothing like your guys, but car time is learning time for me. Oh, so university, it's your it's your mobile university. Jim Rohn, yep. so good about talking about your car should be your truck, should be your university. Yep. Download the podcasts because often they haven't got good good coverage or good reception or 4G or 5G. Yep. Download them before you go, plan them and listen to them and use the time well. And the other thing that you've kindly reminded me of, Jim Rowan, he said, this is the mentor to Tony Robbins. And that's the guy that got Tony Robbins doing what he did as a coach is he said, you are the product of the five people you spend most time with. Yeah. And like you said, shit in, shit out. If the people you are with are shitty mm. and a cunty and mm. fat and negative and yeah. blaming everyone else, you will be a product of your environment. So you have to change. Now there's a whole other subject around environmental design. Yes. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's it's crucial. Um, and what I want people to know is that, you know, that time, it doesn't have to be like, you don't have to like uh, listen to war and peace, okay? If you're feeling low and you're kind of down on yourself and you're not hitting your targets and you're just feeling like a bit bit shit, have a laugh. Yeah, listen to something. Right? Like listen I'm to something that makes you laugh. Yeah, I'm on I am on like YouTube and podcasts and comedy shows like flat out. Yeah. Right? Because work is a grind, life is it a is. grind. So like keeping keeping light is super important. And, you know, the the people that you're around, they don't have to be real people. <laughs> they can be virtual people. Yeah, right? it's so good, comrade. I'm so glad you've said that. And the reason I want to jump in is I love Peter Sellers. Mm. I find him hilarious. And yeah. it's just maybe my pommy kind of taste. No, no, it is hilarious. An Englishman trying to be a Frenchman and inspect Glusso and everything else and not now, Cato. It just cracks me up. And the point I like about it is we get so serious. Mm. And the levity and the lightness, and we're not talking about the path of light and sunshine, although there are some obviously some truisms in there, is like take a bloody chill pill and actually like yep. have a bit of banter. Yeah. Your mates have a WhatsApp group of guys that are, you know, sharing jokes. Maybe some of them aren't as appropriate. We all know what we're all guys and yeah, it's like. fine. But like have some banter, have some piss take. 
And you're you're on the money is when you're out there selling and you're getting rejected. I tell you what, it's a lonely, lonely world. You know, the yeah. life of the traveling salesperson going from Wagga Wagga or Shepparton or Ekadahuna or Hamilton, wherever you happen to be on either side of the ditch, if you're listening here, is it's lonely. So you're right, is take company with you. Mm. But I think what you're saying is take the right company. Am I am I getting that right? Yeah. And I'm also what I, you know, like I think back to when I owned a retail thing. I used to like reps used to either I used to love them with my like my like or you passionately love them because they helped me so much. Like your or, own. Yeah. Or I used to fucking despise them. Yeah. Okay. And the ones I despised were the low energy, you know, guys who just kind of like dragged their asses into my shop and oh, had yeah. had no passion and had no fucking energy and you zero know, fucks. Zero fucks given. Didn't want to help me. Right. And then there's guys, and I'm, you know, I'm still connected to one of them today. He's one of my closest friends. And he was a beautiful guy. And, you know, he developed this relationship with me. And every time he came in, he'd, you know, he'd bring me a coffee and we'd have a chat and we'd have a yarn. And he he had good vibes. Right. So if you're struggling a bit and you're down on yourself, that's going to rub off on people. And if they're struggling a bit, they're not going to want to buy shit off anyone that's like, bringing them down. You've got to step up. You've got to be into that, you know, into that positivity. You've got to show up. You've got to show up. I've yeah. always sales as a performance. And it's not like trying to be disingenuine, but there's a guy over here, another guy that you should check out, comrade called Doug Avery. Okay. And he's called the resilient farmer. He's based in the South Island in Blenheim. His nearest farm is a salt flat. It's mm. that dry. Well, that hasn't been very dry this winter. We've had a shit ton of rain all over the place, much like you guys in Aussie, right? I know Dubbo's getting hit real hard at the moment. And Doug Avery talks about, and he goes over and he talks about mental well-being and, and coaching and everything else. And he, ironically, he teaches Australian farmers how to manage drought, and he's from New Zealand. Mm-hmm. His next door farm is a salt flat, the salt right. ones. But he talks about what you talk about, but he articulates in different ways. Like, you've got to be up. Yes. Because if the farmer's down and farmers love to fucking complain about wrong rain, wrong weather, wrong yeah. grass, soil, da 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 da. Oh, look, we, we know they're good buggers. You know, we know they're resilient and they we're incredibly grateful for how they've held up economies over COVID. But if you, they're down and they're getting a lot thrown at them and then you turn up with a shitty mood and a shitty vibe, mm. you ain't going to sell shit. And no. so, you know, you don't start going, oh, yeah, those. Bastard promise and bastard politics and bastard math and assure quality and, and all the you know different regulation industry organizations. So you're absolutely right. You're you know, I, I picked it up from our group, you know, your vibe attracts your tribe. And I know again it's so cliche, but it's so true. That's true. So it's like if you are drinking too much, if you're smoking too much, if you're not looking after your mental and physical health and you're feeling depressed and you're feeling apathetic and you're feeling like you're stuck, okay, then all of the things that we've talked about today, like reducing your alcohol intake, right? There's so many great beers out there that are 0% alcohol. Mm. Laying off the spirits, right? Doing 30 days of no drinking and mm. um, cutting drugs out completely because you don't need them. Um, they're, they're a want, not a need. And trying to improve your actual mindset in terms of how you're showing up, how you're thinking and how you interact with others is the first step. And, you know, like guys like you, guys like myself, like we're accessible, we can be talked to. We've got so many resources, so many tools, so many 
things that we can give to people that will just get them moving in the right direction. And it does not have to be a, a right angle shift. Okay. You can go in the next six months. Uh, I mean, you know, James Clear talks about this kind of this 1% improvement per day. Um, if you, you know, if you want to drink less, exercise a little bit more, connect a little bit more, and have a little bit more fun, right? Keep things light. And you take that approach to life every day and you make those your non-negotiables. Like every day I'm gonna, I'm gonna exercise, I'm gonna eat better, um, I'm gonna try to eat better, I'm gonna reduce my alcohol or reduce my drug intake. Um, and I'm going to talk to somebody, like really listen to them and connect with them every day. Do that for six months or a year and life is looking very, very different. Now, one thing that, you know, like I'm really thinking about is that, and I think maybe some of your guys and women people are taking this for granted, is that in terms of human well-being, there is no place in the world that is better for your well-being than being in nature. 100%. Right? 100%. So I have a client, uh, well, I've got a couple in, in rural Victoria. Um, I won't say where they are, but I go out there very regularly. Um, and sometimes those guys are fucking complaining and bitching and whining and moaning, and I'm like, oh, my God. Look at where you live. Look at where you live. That's okay? your office. Yeah. So I'm not going to sit here and go, yeah, you need to like become a Zen master meditation guru, right? But maybe you need to like take a walk into a paddock and mm. sit on a log and take mm. your shoes off and and you know, put your put your feet in the in the soil yeah. and close your eyes and and breathe and take it in mm. um and just start there, right? Yeah. As a as a level of gratitude um because that is the medicine. Right, nature is uh, it's incredible, and if you want to read more about it, there's a, a hypothesis called the biophilia hypothesis. Hypothesis. Um, we'll grab that from you for the show notes because I can't even pronounce that, and I'm, mm. I I can talk about xylem tubes and phloem from my A level biology, but that one's. But we'll get that from you, comrade. Yeah. I mean, I love about nature being a best restorer. I mean, there are things I want to talk about, like around anger, but I think you, you know, I think the best places people come and reach out to you. I'm gonna I'm gonna talk to you about some of the people I and organizations I think you should be talking to over here. Absolutely. We'll, we'll do that off 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 air. I really liked how you talked about disposition and yeah. choosing choosing your attitude. And again, yeah. it's it's a it's a cliche, but your attitude defines your altitude. Absolutely. You talked about environmental design being very selective and careful of the vibe and the tribe that you have. Yeah, and surrounding yourself, even if they're not real people, virtual people, because mm. you're like you say, your mobile phone, your iPhone, your Android is a wealth of resource now, where you can load up your YouTube's and your podcasts, and when you're driving and doing your your, your trips and your sales trips and everything else. But um, I'm super grateful, comrade. We've gone for just over an hour or close to, but I think it's been time very, very well spent. I think, I think also. This has been very bloke focused, but I think there'll be some rural women in New Zealand who are living and what you've said will land with them very loudly. And yep. um, I would encourage them to reach out to you. And if they want to talk to you um, about their husbands, because we know blokes are really bloody pathetic about asking for help. Yeah. 
So Comrade, where do people find you? How can they get in touch with you? Yeah. So like I have a website. I don't spend much time there. Um, typically you'll find me, you know, on Instagram, on Facebook, uh, and I'm at Conrad M. Tracy. Um, the M for if- mother. M for, for mother, yeah. What is, what is your middle name, Michael? Michael, yeah. And if you such um, a good, such a good middle name that because it <laughs> used to be my father's. If you Google me, um, I'm you know I'm around the internet, I'm all over it, and uh, obviously we'll drop some links in. Incredible how many times my first conversation is with a wife, a partner, a girlfriend. So, yeah. and we also work with women. We've got female coaches, um, and. We have spent a lot of time with um, women who are drinking, and unfortunately, there's a, a bit of a move with mothers uh, and methamphetamines. So, you know, all good, uh, all good things to think about. But yeah, I'm around, and I'm I try and keep myself super accessible. So happy to to connect and talk with people. Awesome, comrade, and that's comrade Tracy with a Tracy with an E and M for mother. So comrade M for mother or Michael. Tracy T R A C E, and I know you'll be all over Google when they do. Comrade, you are a beautiful human being, my man. Mm-hmm. Um, this has been a joy. I've really enjoyed it. I'd love to. I would. I could talk to you guys. I could talk to you for ages <laughs> and unpack more things around uh, workaholism, anger. We might get you back. We might have another session on that. Yeah, I'd love to. Um, but I think uh, you know. I'm sure after the listeners are talking, this this has been a gift. There's a lot to think on and to digest and and most importantly, reflect on. So, yeah, super grateful, comrade. Um, it's cool to have you as a mate, part of the network. I'm really pleased I've discovered you and part of your world and we're part of that that same world that we all hang in. And um, it's been great to have you on the show. Matt, it's an absolute pleasure. I hope that it helps. Um, and I just want everybody listening to know that uh, it's going to be okay. All right? Don't be hard on yourself if you've heard something today that makes you feel like... Um, that's me because that's you today. Uh, it doesn't have to be you tomorrow. And there's plenty of people um, like myself that can help you to create, you know, meaningful change in your life. So thanks very much. It's been an absolute pleasure. You're welcome, Corinne. And what I was just say, one last thing is what I like about you is, well, one, the bravery of sharing your story, but you've been through a lot of shit. You've been through some trauma Mm. the issues you know the relationships the stress the workalism the anger the drugs the booze so this guy's legit guys this guy's legit he's walked that path so yeah i encourage you if any of this has made sense that you reach out to comrade he's a very good guy and he will take good care of you so comrade my man you're you're a legend thanks mate